You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrgs.nl. Now, let's get into the podcast. Good morning. Last Sunday before Christmas. Yes, we're at the last Sunday of uh, Advent. And in this Advent season, we've been looking at, you know, several characters in the Christmas story. We've been looking at Joseph, we've been looking at Mary, we've been looking at the shepherds, and they all, they all made a journey. They made a physical journey, but they also, they also made an inward journey, an emotional journey, a spiritual journey. And we saw that they, they journeyed from doubt to faith, and they journeyed from hurt to healing, and from unbelief to belief. And today we're going to look at some others in this story, and I think they probably have made the longest journey of them all. We're going to look at the Magi from the East. And yes, they made the longest uh, journey, I think, physically, but maybe also spiritually. Let's have a look at that. Um, We only read about them in the Gospel of Matthew. I mean, Paul explained last week that all the Gospels look a little bit different at the, at the birth story, give a different, give a different perspective. Um, only in Matthew do we read about the Magi. And Matthew shows us first, we read about it in the second chapter. In the first chapter, we first read about the genealogy of Jesus. We read that... Jesus is descendant from Abraham and David. He's got royal blood. He, he, he's from the line of where the Messiah, the promised Messiah, would come from. And Matthew tells it that way. And then, then in that same chapter, he looks at Mary, Virgin Mary, g- giving birth, and then at Joseph uh, taking his journey from doubt to faith. Remember, as Paul talked about that a, a few weeks ago. And then right in the beginning of the second chapter, we see the Magi. Now, that's surprising because, you know, isn't the coming of the Messiah the culmination of the history of Israel, right? Everything, the whole Old Testament looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, the prophecies, um, all these prophets predicting that a Messiah would come, but also in, you know, all the the symbolism of the temple worship, the temple itself, the the priesthood, the sacrifices, everything looking forward to a a coming Messiah. And now this Messiah is born, and the first ones to recognize him as Messiah are some Gentiles from the East. Surprising. Um, We see that these wise men came from the East to search him out. They saw some signs pointing to a promised Messiah. And they come and they worship him. So why is Matthew telling it like this? Now I think he includes this, um, these wise men, right at the start, these magi, to, to signal to us that this is not a normal king. The borders of the, of the kingdom of this king will extend far beyond the borders of Israel. These wise men, these this representatives of a foreign government, come to worship this king. And he's saying to us, this king will rule the world. All right? Let's, let's read the story. Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one 
that has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them where, when exactly the, the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go, search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures. And they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, mirth, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. These magi had embarked on a long journey, physical and spiritual. A journey that would take them from searching to certainty. Now, where are these magi from? Who are they? Now, the text doesn't give us a whole lot to go with. There's a lot of uncertainty. You just say they're from the east. Okay, it doesn't say if it's near, if it's far, if it's northeast, southeast. It, it's not clear. It doesn't really narrow it down. So, so maybe if you look at who they are, maybe that gives us a clue. All right? Maybe we've got some answers. Now, Magi were usually leading figures in the religious court life in their country of origin. They were employing a variety of scientific and diplomatic and religious elements in their work. Wise men trusted advisors to kings, skilled in philosophies, like in, in diplomacy, I said, right, um, in, in holiness, interpreters of dreams. Where we in our world tend to keep religion and politics and uh, science apart, they brought it all together, everything to search for good answers, to give good advice to their king. So astrology was part of their curriculum. They gazed at the stars, and as they were gazing at the stars, they, they saw something special there. They saw something that convinced them that the king of the Jews was born. Now, it's also not very clear what exactly they saw. Okay, Some say it might have been a supernova, an exploding or imploding star, and it would have caused a bright light at the, at the evening sky. Some say it was a comet. Some say you know the, the planets have, you know, were in a certain certain constellation, certain way, came together that pointed to a king, Saturn and, and, and Jupiter coming together, and the one pointing to a king and the other to Jews or whatever. I don't know. I'm not an astrologer. Others say, you know, it was a it was a supernatural thing. It wasn't exactly maybe the stars, but something supernatural. Because, you know, this star seems to behave a little bit awkward. It appears, then it disappears, then it reappears, then it points to a specific house. Not normal behavior for a star, right? So maybe it was like more of an angel. And if you read Daniel and Job and the Revelations, we see that angels are sometimes refer referred to as stars. So whatever it was, 
they were convinced that something very special was taking place. An announcement of the king of the Jews. Now, when we read different sources of the time, um, we see that there was a bit of a general expectation of an imminent uh, messianic announcement. If we read Josephus, a, a Jewish historian, if we read some of the, the wise men from the East and from Greece, and if we read some of the Roman historians, there seemed to be this general expectation of an act of, of, of God to bring a person in the world that would deliver man from his bondage and from his limitations. Now, they were all looking in different places. Some thought, you know, it was Caesar. Others looked in different places. But th because this expectation was there, the, the wise men would have been looking at the stars to see, okay, when and where would this person appear? They were well aware that the world is not as it should be, right? The world is not as it should be. And, and, and as if they were to have any hope, divine intervention was needed. They've probably been exposed to Old Testament prophecies from Jewish colonies in the East, because not all the Jews had returned to Jerusalem from the exile. There were still big colonies in the East. In fact, in Babylon at the time, there were still big learning centers of, uh, of, of Jewish learning centers. And, and they might have heard some of these prophecies, because they have been looking in different places for good advice for kings, right? So perhaps that's where they're from. Perhaps they were from Babylon. And they might have heard about Balaam's prophecy in, in, in Numbers 24. A star will come out of Jacob. A, a scepter will rise out of e Israel. And now they see this star and they set out for Jerusalem. Let's, let's see the map. So there's Babylon. The, the, I think his Parthia is called, I think. And, and, and these, this is like the main... Uh, trade route going all the way down there to Jerusalem. Long journey. I've read somewhere that maybe between 1,400, 1,500 kilometers. It would have taken them months to get there. Long journey. And the guiding question was, where is the king? A question we can ask ourselves as well. Where do we look for, for deliverance? Where do we look for deliverance? Life is not as it should be. The world is not as it should be. Where do we look to for salvation? To put things right. Where, where is the king? Or perhaps who is the king? And as they looked, they found signs pointing to Jesus. They found this star that would guide them to this little boy. Now in the Christmas story, we see a lot of signs, right? We see a lot of signposts pointing toward Christ. God is using all these different means as a signpost. There are prophecies, there's scripture, there, there's nature, there's a star, there are dreams, there are angels, there are other people. If we pay attention, there are all kinds of signposts pointing to Jesus. Now, these magi, within their own world, within their own belief system, they saw the signs pointing to Jesus. And, you know, there's signs outside of faith, there's signs outside of the church pointing toward the existence of God, pointing toward Jesus. Signs that will set us on a search. Now, even today we hear of people having dreams. Just the other day I heard about some Muslim women that had dreams about Jesus, telling them to get baptized. It set them on a search. We hear about people that look at nature and it convinces them that there is a God that goes for me. 
I grew up in a Christian family, but at some point I turned my back to the church. But looking at nature, and especially at the interconnectedness of it all, I was convinced there must be a maker, and it put me on a search. Now others, they start searching when things don't go well. But I also heard a story of a, of a lady who, actually I know this lady who, who started searching because things were going so well. And she was so thankful. And she didn't know who to thank. And it put her on a search. And she found Jesus. Remarkable, isn't it? There are signs pointing to God, even if you're not a believer. Right outside of our, of our belief system. And it will put you on a search. And maybe you are here today. Maybe you are not so sure about, about faith yet. Yet you are here today. Unless someone really dragged you and forced you to be here, there was something that put you on a search, something that made you curious, something that brought you here. And I want to encourage you, keep searching, keep searching. In, in, in February, we're starting the Alpha course again, designed for people that are searching to find out more about faith. Keep searching, and I'm sure once you're confronted with Jesus, your life won't be the same. Keep searching for the king. Now, we all look in different places for security, don't we? Different places for healing, for hope, for who to trust, for, for who's going to, how, and is this world going to be a better place? Where are we looking for the king? And I think many of, look, many of us look in the same places as the Magi looked. We look in the, in the area of politics and power. We look in the areas of religion, rules for living. We look to wealth and possession and money, security, financial security. Let's take a closer look at these. Let's take a closer look at power and politics. They show up at Herod's court. Herod the Great, king of the Jews. And they ask him, where is the one born king of the Jews? In other words, you are not it. And that disturbed him. <laughs> As you can imagine, when we are looking for a better world, we often also look at people in power, at politics, right, to make a difference, to make a change. We want a better world, and we think maybe, maybe somebody in power can make this change. Power can make a difference, so we need people in power. We, we need to write people in power. And it matters who's in power, right? A good government can make a lot of change. But I think history shows us that power is not going to save the world. <laughs> power can corrupt. Power does corrupt. Often, political power wants to hold on to its power, right? Be it a person or a party. We see it all over the world. Use power to stay in control and in the process, suppress others. If you use power, there's always a... Another power that go, goes against it. And the same goes for Herod. And in his old age, he is getting paranoid. Now you can imagine he's disturbed because he hears apparently there's a child that's going to be king and it's not his child. <laughs> um, and apparently these magi, these court officials, this foreign government basically, is, is saying there's another child being born that's going to be king. And Herod, Herod kind of knows that even within the Jewish belief system, he's not actually the rightful king. He's not 100% Jew himself. He's not a descendant from David. So he, he might be paranoid and thinking, here's these 
this foreign government, maybe they're going to work together with some factions within Israel that want to put a rightful king on the throne. And you need to know that Herod had a history of problems with, with powers from the east. 40 BC, the Parthians had invaded Jerusalem, put their own king on the throne. Herod at the time was governor in Galilee. And he fled to Rome. And as he fled to Rome, he worked the system there, and he got the Roman Senate to proclaim him king of the Jews. And they sent him back with an army to liberate Jerusalem. And he succeeded. And now Herod is the unrivaled ruler. Herod the Great, ruling both Galilee, Judea, Samaria, and a bunch of other areas. Herod the Great. And Herod was always on his guard. Always suspicious that someone would, f would want to get him off the throne. And as he got older, it got worse. He got more paranoid. He had a lot of sons that were all contending for the throne. And he put his family in prison and he, he executed a few, including his wife, his mother, a bunch of sons. It got so bad that Caesar Augustus at some point made the pun, this wordplay, where he says it's better to be um, Herod's I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, but Herod's wees or instead of his wheels, meaning it's better to be his pick in his household than his son. Better chances for survival if you're his pick than his son. That's how bad it was. Power struggles, part of the world of politics. Just look at the world it is. Salvation cannot be found in politics. Salvation cannot be achieved through power. It's because of the human conditions, because of the human heart. Although power can be used for good, it's often misused. So where do we look then? Well, let's try religion. So we look at the, at the story, we see that the religious system and the political system are, 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 are intertwined. Herod is upset, all Jerusalem is upset meaning the whole upper class, meaning the priests and the teachers of the law. Everybody's upset. We know that under Herod, there was, you know, since he became power, there was a relative stability. He was building cities, he was building palaces, he was building the temple, rebuilding the temple, just to get the teachers of the law and the priests on his good side. And the religious system, they were quite happy with that. Good relation with the king, things settled down. Let's keep the status quo here. Let's not upset things. You would have thought that the religious system would celebrate at the announcement of a Messiah. But I guess, you know, at the time, there, there might have been other rumors and other <laughs> messiahs that claimed to be the Messiah. So let's wait. Let's not obsess the system. Let's keep things calm. Let's not go looking for trouble. Let's keep the status quo. Besides, they would know, wouldn't they? They don't, don't need no Magi to tell them that the Messiah is born. They are perfectly capable of talking to their own God, of interpreting their own scriptures. We know what the Bible says. We don't need some Gentiles to tell us what to do. And I think even in our own time, we need, you know, we need to be careful not to, to mix or... No not to entwine, not to hook up religion and politics in such a way that the people from the outside can't tell the difference. 
because we talked about being signposts. That we talked about signposts that were pointing to Jesus, right? Signposts that were pointing that one day Jesus' kingdom will come, fully arrive. We're now in the, in the now and the not yet. Jesus' kingdom has been inaugurated with his birth, but it's not fully here yet. And there are outposts, there are signs pointing to this hope in the future that one day Jesus will rule completely. And we are called to be the signpost. The church is called to be the signpost. A testimony of the arrival of the king. A little piece of kingdom here on earth, of his kingdom here on earth, to proclaim good news, to be good news. Now, we need to be careful that when we mix religion and politics, we don't actually become bad news to people. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we need Christians in politics, okay? We need Christians in all areas of life, all spheres of life, to be salt, to be light. But, but when it becomes almost indistinguishable where the ruler or the party stands for and where the, what, the, what we as Christians believe, then, then we're in trouble. So what signposts are, are we? we? We as Christians sometimes run the danger of thinking that we've got it all figured out. We know all the answers. Like the priests and the teachers of the law. Telling people, um, this is what you need to believe. This is how you need to think. This is how you need to behave. And we run the danger of becoming legalistic. When I grew up as a teenager, as a young adult, that turned me away from the church and almost turned me away from God. Now, sure, sure, it was partly me, okay? When I look back at that church, when I, not, when I look at the church now, I see it's actually a very vibrant church. But it's not how I perceived it back then. Back then, I just perceived a lot of do's and don'ts. And mainly a lot of don'ts. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to ask questions, to investigate, to as faith for myself. A lot of things I wasn't allowed to do. I wasn't allowed to hang out with my friends on a Sunday, to play sports on a Sunday, to even buy an ice cream on a Sunday. Basically, you only go out the door to go to church or maybe for a walk with your dad. And then there was all these rules on how you could or could not dress. I couldn't wear jeans to church. Women needed to wear a skirt and a hat. and All these rules, all these outward things. And then in catechism, the place where you need to discover faith... I couldn't ask questions. I was just told what to believe and how to behave. Couldn't investigate. And I'm sure it was all with good intentions, I think. But it drove me away from church. Almost away from God. Faith seemed to be all about outward behavior and giving the right answers. Just conform. It felt oppressive. It felt pointless. Impossible to live up to, joyless, gray. What signposts are we? Are we pointing to Christ? Are we helping people along the way? Are we good news? Or are we roadblocks? Telling people you can't pass until you behave this way. You can't pass until you think this way. Or do we encourage people? Say, come, meet Jesus. Let him touch you. Let him change your life. Or are we bad news? Do we claim to have all the answers? A neat little system. Have we got, have we got God figured out? God always seems to do surprising things. And he seemed to pop up in unexpected places, right? 
even in the ordinary, maybe especially in the ordinary, in a stable, in a poor family. So the Magi couldn't find him there either. And they set out to go outside of Jerusalem and find him in Bethlehem. Coming out of the confusion of the city, of the religious and the, and, 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 and the politics, they see this star again and it says they were overjoyed. <laughs> F- flowing over with joy, jumping up and down. Here is the star again. Now, this star was a road sign. If we are to be road signs, how do people react when they see us, when they meet us? Are they overjoyed? I have to be honest, I think I fall short quite, quite often. Maybe for some people, if I'm lucky, I've, I've meant that. But you know, not, not only is not the world as it should be, but I'm not as it should be. I am in need of a Savior. And as I pay homage to the Savior, I let Him impact my life. And I ponder, what does it mean? What does it, um, what does it mean to be a road sign towards Jesus? And the answers are not always obvious. And I need wisdom. And I need a connection, a relationship with Jesus to figure it out every time again. Because divine intervention to put the world right came in the form of a little boy. Not a neat little packet of do's and don'ts. In a person. Truth personified. A person to get to know. A relationship. Now, the Magi are certain they are in the right place. They have moved from searching to cer- certainty. And, and, and they worship this little boy. They worship Jesus, a little child, a poor child, nothing special to look at. And they opened their treasures, it says. I love how it said that. They opened their treasures. Not that, oh, they gave him gifts. No, they opened their treasures. And they gave him gifts fit for a king. You see, worship involves our everything. They couldn't find salvation in their wealth. They knew it. And when they were confronted with the king, with the true king, they opened their treasures. It's not just singing songs on a Sunday. It's not just praying prayers in your devotional lives and gifts. It involves giving everything we we have. Our treasures at the disposal of the king. It involves giving who we are. Mind, body, soul, strength, everything at the disposal of the king. It involves changing our ways. You see that the Magi, after they've met Jesus and they gave gave their gifts, they opened their treasures, they they go back a different route. They changed their ways. They didn't go back to Herod to report. And I'm sure when they left, the, the world hadn't changed much. But they had changed. And little did they know that the gifts they gave made a huge difference in the lives, life of this boy and maybe in world history. I mean, this gift probably provided a way for, 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 for this poor family, for Jesus, to escape to Egypt and to live there for a few years. Because Herod, when he heard that the Magi wasn't coming back, and he thought, there's a boy that, that one day might be king. I'm going to kill all the boys in the Bethlehem region. These gifts provided a way for them to escape to Egypt. You never know what happens to your gifts, right? At the disposal of the king. And I saw this poor child, I saw this, this poor family, this small child, and not what you expect from a savior. These were learned, these were rich people. 
yet they had faith in the promise of this child. They had faith. If you read Hebrews 11, it says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And that applies so much to these Magi, right? They had hope in this, hope in this promise, confidence in this hope. Confidence. They were sure that one day this child would rule the world. One day justice will be done. One day this child will rule with justice and righteousness. Promise. They discovered the divine in this little boy. Unfathomable power expressed in powerlessness. Inexpressible presence choosing to be present, not in a palace, but in, in poverty. Let that sink in. They found a savior in the most unlikely of places, yet the most ordinary of places. And our Savior still tends to hang out in these places with the poor, with those longing for justice, with those suffering injustice, with the hurt, with the, the sick, with the poor. And he calls us to be signposts to him, announcing his kingdom, opening up our treasures to be a little taste of heaven here on earth, to be his partners. You know, the Magi, they searched for a king. And they learned that faith is about promise, not power. They learned that faith is about relationship, not rules. They learned that faith is about worship, not wealth. So are we willing to trade power for promise are we willing to trade rules for relationship are we willing to trade wealth for worship it's all expressed in this little child Emmanuel God with us God giving up divine power and wealth to become this normal child this poor child all to have a restored relationship with us let's pray Lord, I'm just overwhelmed that you, the creator of the universe, first of all, would want a restored relationship with us. And then the way you do it, to give up your power, to give up your wealth, to give, give everything up, to come to earth as a little poor boy in a poor family. Help us to ponder what that means. Touch us, change us. And Lord, help us to, to figure out what it means to be your signposts here on earth. A little taste of heaven. How we need to change our ways. Be here, I pray, Lord, as we worship you again. I pray that you would come with your spirit, that you will speak to us, that you will change us. That, Lord, we will be your representatives here on earth. That when people look at us, they see you. We are your body, Lord. And when they look at us, they see Jesus. Lord, you chose to be seen as a little boy. Help us to understand what that means. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.